Welcome to Empathy Power Up, a collaboration of two people who connected during the pandemic through their love of empathy and action. Two people from very different backgrounds, helping each other find ways to love themselves, understand their experiences better, and help reverse the rise of narcissism and the divides in our communities. We will cover various topics about the human experience to help us power up on tools of empathy and emotional intelligence in the pursuit of one simple goal. Create a world where I'm people seek to understand themselves and each other. I have had the privilege this and luck is a to be learning able to journey. learn more about myself and the world around me. Figuring out life together. Communities, the cultures we all grew up in shaped who we are. We learned from our families, friends, teachers. We learned from the people in our communities, the laws that shaped us, that codify a lot of the characteristics in subtle and not so subtle ways. It is a daily struggle for all of us to become aware of toxic behaviors and mindsets and try to unlearn them and learn new ones. It's not easy. It's an overwhelming, it's overwhelming sometimes, and it can be frustrating. These don't show up in white people alone. These characteristics I noticed in my behavior as well. These are in our culture and we are all a product of the, of the system that we live in. And so when we are talking about the characteristics of white supremacy culture that was outlined by Tema Okun, we're not just talking about the people who identify as white, but it's all of us who are living in the system and these all seep into us. We did a deep dive in our past episodes around these characteristics. And we learned that this culture we live in and all these toxic characteristics are impacting all of us and we are all likely struggling with it. Amy, which of these characteristics do you struggle with the most? Yeah, I, I was really thinking as we were getting ready for this podcast, um, there was three that jump out to me in particular um, and that's fear, perfectionism and individualism. So um, fear for the longest time, I was afraid um, to step into what I wanted to wanted or needed and followed someone else's plan for me. And so what's interesting is that fear is the number one strategy that people in uh, a white supremacist culture um, actually uses to keep us in a place where we're reacting instead of responding. So uh, a lot of times fear in the past has sometimes paralyzed me and I've been indecisive. I've been fearful of both success and of failure. And so I've learned um, as time goes on as, a, as an entrepreneur um, now that I don't really have to worry about whether I'm taking the right step. I just know I have to take the next step and a step. <laughs> Um, and then like, as I've gotten older, I've seen my values and intuition guide me. And the second one is perfectionism. So perfectionism is definitely strong within me. I have witnessed family members around me put this perfect exterior up um, when I knew that they were crumbling deep down inside. And well, also when I was younger and kind of naive, I really loved this kind of like perfect nature and all the, you know, like making of the cookies and like cooking all the great food and all the things that were happening. But as I got older, this keeping up with the Joneses really didn't, wasn't a hamster wheel I wanted to be on. Um, 
So the spaces that I have been in have also reinforced this perfectionism. So in management consulting, I wore a suit, a full face of makeup and heels every day to work, which is wild to think about after the pandemic, because I do none of those things. I don't really go into a workplace. I don't put makeup on most of the time. And I have a whole closet full of suits I don't wear. So I was always trying to be client ready with my deliverables and and show no flaws for fear that I was being fired. Um, and that was a real, real fear that many of us shared. So um, I then I just would run around, try to run circles around people with Ivy League degrees because I was inadequate and unqualified, at least in my mind at the time. But, um, you know, I didn't see, I didn't see that, that perfectionism that was seeping in. And so I've feel like I've changed my ways in a lot of different, different spaces. So, and then finally, like individualism is something that I think is the hardest because from an early age, I learned the world was not really a safe place for me, both emotionally and mentally. And, you know, I grew from, grew up in a dysfunctional home. So my coping mechanism was, was for me to physically and emotionally cut myself off from other people. So I learned to do everything on my own I calmed myself down when I was angry. I worked on my problems alone. I dissociated on my own. And um, so as I've gotten older, I have feelings sometimes that I feel like I'm lost at sea or disconnected from other people. So, you know, what I've learned over time is that the answer always for me is to go towards community and away from this individualism that I've been taught. Yeah, I, I relate to so much of those that you shared. For me, I very recently started understanding the the feeling of being in community because even in spaces where I was in community, I was disassociating. I was be- putting up the barriers and trying to be that alone and individual and 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 it's it's still a daily struggle where I have to re- like I'm like oh I'm better off alone and then I have to remind myself. That's just the 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 characteristics of the system talking and it, it's it's that control and it's it's still a daily struggle. So thank you for sharing those. Um, we all sort of have similar sort of experiences, I think, in around these and even you know we all came from different um, backgrounds and we lived experiences, but these characteristics have showed up in so many aspects of our lives and it's not just because you grew up in the united states i grew up in india and we you know it's on the other side of the world and very different culture uh but very influenced by the western side and and due to colonization and the other aspects but and and a lot of similarities i see in people from that region and in other areas of the world where where colonized i mean colonization touched the whole world and and, and so uh, we inherited these these toxic cultures through generational conditioning. So we covered these in past episodes. So today we're doing a quick review as a recap to what what the ones that we covered, and and then we'll talk a little bit about what's coming next. So let's dive dive it in. Uh, one of the first you, uh, you talked about this, Amy, uh, individualism, and we did this in our episode called uh, Episode Seven: We More Than Me, and. Uh, this is the idea that's enshrined in this our billionaire idolization billionaire worship culture and and the idea that there is this one hero and one savior that can save us all it, it it's 
and and this idea of self-made and 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 it's each of us can be that hero and each of us can be that savior and each of us is self-made and 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 really the 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 idea the quote the, the cliche that comes up often in my head is the pulling our pulling ourselves up by our bootstrap and it's not like we didn't get like these folks that are successful quote unquote successful didn't get help from others um the the other one uh, we covered i think was uh, in episode 8 was overqualified this idea we call the episode overqualified it's the idea that there's this gatekeeping that's happening and it exists is because if you are not qualified unless you go through my gate and my process and my system and an example we we talked about in the, was doulas black doulas especially what 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 ended up happening is white men doctors basically calling them witch doctors and calling them and completely de uh, de uh, dehumanizing them and and their work and and saying and the system put in laws in place that they couldn't even do the things in in lots of places and took their jobs away that where they were helping with labor they were helping with women they're giving uh, giving birth especially women of color and black women and then what ended up happening is uh, these women losing their dualas, losing the people who are helping them, going to the doctors, the rise, uh, it increased the amount of C-sections that were happening and, and more deaths and more fatalities and more pain than before. So this was the idea is like, no, our way is the way and that's the only way you can follow. And the other things that we've learned, the generational knowledge that has come through is all erased. It's all, all removed and it's a way to hoard power and maintain power in one place. By keep like with that gatekeeping idea yeah. and, and then another one we talked about was uh, unlearning perfectionism in episode nine amy you talked about perfectionism um the idea that that we can achieve perfectionism we can achieve for being perfect there isn't such a thing as perfect that we all live on the spectrum everything is fluid things iterate we change we grow we make mistakes and there's myth of achieving perfectionism so that we can have a better life. And so we continuously pursue that. And that becomes this obsession rather than us centering ourselves and our care and our and our humanity is uh, people who are just learning, figuring things out, makes mistakes, and that's it. It's nothing more than that, but it's this idea of perfectionism. So we explored that. Um, the... Another one was in episode 10 was what's the rush? This is one I like because I am very much a rushing kind of guy. I'm learning patience right now. Um, very impatient person in the past. And this idea of everything's urgent. Bias for action. It's in Amazon's leadership principles. Bias for action. Get things done as fast as possible. Break things. Move, uh, move fast and break things. And ask for forgiveness later. And those kind of cultural cliches that we hear. Um, and it pushes people to work part, work hard, and pass like sacrifice rest and recovery. And and it's the idea is everything is urgent because profit and use as many resources as possible in the fastest amount of time. And another one we explored in episode eleven was uh, lowering our defenses. And the, I, its defensiveness is uh, it comes from the fear of shame. It comes from fear of judgment. Um, and it's defending our position rather than listening on what the impact has been on the other person, what the impact has been on the community. Instead, like my intention was good and I am doing this and I I am right. And, and what ends up happening then is we every side starts defending and then we're not talking to each other. We're yelling at each other. We're just 
we're just expressing without understanding, without alignment. And these are some of the characteristics that we explored. Amy, what are some some mm-hmm. of the ones that you want to talk about? Yeah, and and I think with lowering your defensive defensiveness is something where it talks about like this fragile aspect of who we are as humans um, is especially white fragility is that, you know, if you say anything when it comes to like, you know, you might be saying something racist, that doesn't mean that you're a racist, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I believe yeah. it's, it's, we have racist mm-hmm. thoughts and ideas and act, but mm-hmm. we may have racist actions, but I racist mm-hmm. as an identity is just, I have yet to meet someone who says, yes, I'm a racist. <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, most, it's just a bad word nowadays, but um, one thing I'm thinking about with in episode 12, like um, the defensiveness piece, um, white supremacy culture makes us feel comfortable. It was called getting comfortable with this discomfort. Um, I talked about a specific somatic retreat where it blew up because of our collective need uh, for white bodies, right to comfort and avoidance of conflict. And it's a kind of a microcosm for the things that are happening in a bigger way um, in our organizations and companies um, and in our lives. Um, and so reframing conflict is good and not always bad. Um, it's how we get to really know each other more. And when we're uncomfortable, we actually are in a place where we're growing. So, but if we live a life that's always stable and secure, we're not growing and and changing. Um, Episode 13, we talked about breaking the binary. So there's this binary thinking either or, but we forget the yes and. We fail to see that interdependence and the spectrum of possibilities that are laid ahead of us. Um, So episode 14 was when we actually got to fear, (laughs) fear itself Um, That number one characteristics that has us live in fear that leads us to and supports most of the ills that we witness in our society. So we put blinders on and we don't see what's in, we see what's in front of us, but not the world around us. So things like power hoarding, um, keep, which is keeping power for fear that you're going to lose that power later. Um, But in the end, uh, the people who are losing at the end of the day is um is is us we're when we live in fear and we have everything to gain from stepping um into our own power and agency so society is telling us to step away from that but we can actually step into and have that power and agency um <clears throat> and the last two episodes was talking about uh, episode 15th how do we know episode 15 how do we know was um worship of the written word so it's not written down then it doesn't matter or exist and so in that instance what is um interesting is that it discounts the ways of knowing like intuition our spoken word um storytelling that's so important to our culture and um it has also been used to discount other people particularly black and brown humans and away from their land and their dignity. And then, and finally in episode 16, we talked about mother earth because we are disconnected from each other. We are also disconnected from our planet and nature and we don't see that interdependence. So we exploit it because we don't see that we're part of it. And this is really calling disaster, causing disastrous effects in our lives 
now and in future generations. You, wow, it was quite a journey we went on together. It feels like I just took a shower and I'm feeling clean after all of those characteristics we we reviewed. How are you feeling? Uh, feeling pretty good, you know, like it was a lot to, to sift through, but, you know, we've gotten to the other side. Yeah, we've gotten to the other side, uh, <laughs> but let's just um, make sure that it's all... Um, well grounded so that before we head on to our next uh next uh journey we're going to take together um it is it is important to know that when when we are actively working on these characteristics and become aware of this we start noticing them in our day-to-day lives and they do show up they show up every day and i notice them uh when that happens or someone gives me feedback or if i am reflecting And this is how talking about this, learning about this helps us. It helps us become more aware. It is our responsibility to break the cycle. And to do that, we have to become aware of the cycle. We have to become aware of the spokes of that cycle so that we can break the ones we think are harming us and keep the ones that we think are are helping us and then build on top of the ones that, um, and add the ones that we think we need to be added. so it it helps us also when we go into new spaces, new organizations, new jobs, new friendships, or any of those things, detect some of these things. So we can be a support system in others, other people becoming aware of this. Um, and also maybe determine whether it's a safe space to go in or not, and a space safe to engage or not for us. Because not every time we can be the help, we can go help and change. It's a lot of it is on the it's on people to take that responsibility and also be ready for that. But what we can do is become aware and role model the behaviors that we want to see in them, that we want to see in yeah. others in the organizations as well. So the idea is by learning these things, we can make more of an informed choices on how we can engage, how we want to engage, how we want to support, and how we um, move into the spaces that may be very actively propagating these characteristics. Yeah. And I definitely think that the bottom of all of these, this is that we, we lack a shared language that we, we can have on what's happening in the world and the things we need to change. So um, in my experience, we've been grasping at straws to point to specific behaviors we need to address. Um, one example that comes to mind is this idea of the idea of microaggressions. We know that there exist, they exist. Um, and we can say like, if you're saying something like you're good at playing basketball for a girl, or you're so articulate for a black, a black man, or sometimes um, I, you might witness how there's unconscious behaviors um, and subtle behaviors that looks have made it really a hostile environment for BIPOC folks or anyone who's different. Um, so we're looking for like other things like that to point so we can build awareness of the problem and also point to specific behaviors that we can change. So um, I use this recently with a four-part series I was doing with one of my clients. And in the second session, we talk about our empathy deficit And I lead a discussion with a cohort um, and we do breakout rooms and I wanted to give them some kind of language that they can use, that they can all, you know, have a shared language to talk about their experience. And there were um, about equal amounts of white and BIPOC folks who were in the room. And so, so that, that was a really great um, 
addition to it, I didn't call them the characteristics of white supremacy culture. I just called it the characteristics of our culture. So one of the things we're doing, we're just starting to put language and words behind these shared experience we're having. And I think it's a start, but um, as we go deeper into this, I'm seeing the underlying thing between all of this is like empathy and compassion. Um, and I think that's a little bit more neutral way to talk about it, uh, how we might be in community with others. Yeah. Um, this idea of shared language is empowering. I, I really, after, like after going through this journey and learning about this, it, it, it comes up so often between my husband and I in conversations. It's like, oh, that, like he'll do something. And I'm like, that feels very much like worship of the written word. Or that really mm -hmm. feels like um, individualism or perfectionism or qualified. Like we, we, we start bringing those out and it becomes so easy to then like, oh yeah. And it's not then that self-blame or self-hate or a negative feeling. It becomes like, oh yeah, this is that characteristic. So now I know how to, and it, it becomes a very easy, soft way. So something that when we say like, oh, characteristic of white supremacy culture of our culture, it might feel like people might feel like, whoa, this is, wait, I'm not a white supremacist. Let me go. No, no, no. It, it, it feels easier to have these conversations now because we have that shared language. And I think that's why it's empowering. It's it's something I've no, I've done at work with colleagues where I've someone said something and I I pointed this out and and this was a white woman and I I said and she's like I'm not a white supremacist or I'm I'm not like a racist. I'm like no, you're not, absolutely not. But I have these characteristics. I grew up in this culture. It's a culture that's built in the system, so we all observe it. And it, it's so just, why are we women? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it'll be a continuous journey. I don't think there's an end to this. I think it's a it's a continuous journey of uncovering and realizing. But when we have the tools uh, to be able to identify those, it feels lighter. It feels like we can move um, move through the world with a better uh, equipped tool belt, right? And and mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm and it's not just noticing behaviors in myself. It's noticing behaviors in media and politics and leaders and business. Um, um, um executives and, and managers and 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 people around us when they're talking about it when we notice when i start noticing the behavior it's almost like a litmus test of which aspects of the characteristic is dominant in the narrative that is being shared news articles or headlines and um and, and in fact even happened when my brother was mad at my dad and, and they were talking on a group chat and both Paul, my, my husband and I, Paul and I, we noticed like, oh, these are, look, there's so many things in here happening. <laughs> so we start noticing these things and then it can help us then become more aware and then see how we may want to drive change, how we may want to engage. It gives us the ability to pause, be thoughtful and make sure we're taking care of ourselves in, in, in those, in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, it, def it definitely makes me think about like, you have choice, right? Yeah. You have choices, what, like uh, how you want to, to interact. Yeah, th those choices. And I think what's an important point and I we can explore is what are th some things that blocks us from noticing these characteristics? Because we talked about the characters, we become aware of it, but I think it's also important to understand what might be some blockers. Amy, any thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, well... Using the the phrase, the characteristic of white supremacy culture is interesting. Um, and I can see what you're saying when it comes to like having, when you're like seeing everything, once you see something, it's like, you're like, you see it everywhere <laughs> is what's coming up 
up, up for me when you were just saying that is like, in a lot of ways, like just looking at the list of the characteristics doesn't do as much as when we've really gotten and written about it and digested it. So it's been quite a journey that we've been on. And I really wish this journey for a lot of other people, you know, to be able to like really see like, how is this showing up in my life? And um, one of the things I'm seeing is that the recent layoffs in tech media and beyond have really decimated employee resource groups or called ERGs and also diversity, equity, and inclusion groups. Um, and with the pushback on critical race theory and wokeness culture that's happening in uh, many states around the U.S. Um, and I think even abroad, too, they're like, there's, oh, yeah, in U.K., it's happening yeah, in U.K. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and like, but in the U.S. in particular, there's the anti-trans bills across the country. I feel like in a lot of ways, we're sliding back and not forward. And so as I keep doing this work and I see that people who are already leaning into empathy or the curious people are the ones that come to our sessions. So those are the people um, that, that come to our sessions, but then the people who really need to be there are the people who are waging that war on wokeness. And, um, you know, I, I wonder a lot of times, do we start with the people who are already leaning in and hope that they're, that the changes will happen over time as more people are, are, are educated or die off or in those communities that we're talking about when we're waging the folks waging a war on wokeness, you know, using that phrase white supremacy culture is shocking to hear and even more polarizing. It shuts them down and makes them get to even more defensive and stuck in the ground. Right. And so it might turn them off completely. So I think we need to use a lot of different words, but at the end of the day, I think we need to come to an agreement um, that there is a dominant culture, whatever you call it, white supremacy culture, colonist thinking, um, et cetera, that has historically been viewed and still does as superior to, su superior to other cultures. Mm -hmm. And like, I wonder um, in the world, how can we even make any changes when we can't even agree on the language and harms our society has made? Yeah, so this block of, not being associated with the idea, the concept of white supremacy culture is is, is a block in in under noticing these things, or this idea that when when one side is redefining words to serve their purpose, to drive harm, to drive control, to to maintain their power, is um is an important blocker as well because what ends up happening then is we are distracted because it becomes us versus them, and back to the binary thinking, and we talked about binary thinking as well and it becomes that us versus them and i think what we need is this idea of first removing shame from this and not saying you are racist or you know this is this that like you are a white supremacist but because those aren't identities that people generally don't choose for themselves and instead we all need empathy even the folks that are waging the war because they're coming from probably a trauma driven perspective or a perspective where they probably didn't feel seen or heard or feel loved or didn't understand or maybe didn't even understand what healthy discomfort is and and this I, I totally get it I I I I grew up in, a, in in India where I was part of the dominant 
culture. I was the part of the dominant power. I was the middle class, uh, slightly upper middle class and uh, of the religion that is dominant and mm-hmm. in the class system in that existed. Mm-hmm. So when I left and came to India, I mean, came to the United States, I it is a big switch because now I'm not dominant. So giving that up, giving like I was able, like I was able to navigate spaces with confidence and 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 energy and empowerment. And here, every time I tri- not every time, a lot of the times I tried doing that, I was reminded that I was not part of that dominant system. So like in the college quad in the middle at mm-hmm. 6 p.m. on a weekday where all the people are out, one of the people yells at me and calls me a terrorist is a reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. in, in in gay communities where I'm 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 called dirty or like all these things that become that uh, those reminders that I'm not uh, the dominant culture, but removing the shame that we all need love. We all need to feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think back on, you know, on your story is like, you're, you know, you had confidence where you were because you felt comfortable And then you come here in a different context and now you are experiencing something that, um, that not everybody gets a chance to do, right? Like as a white woman myself, like there's, there's that thing about like me being a white woman, right? Like a woman is, is not, not always the best, best, but I'm walking into a space where I can go into a white space and feel comfortable, right? I don't always have to think about race, but, you know, I choose to like sit there and like, and put myself in a space where it's like, oh, I'm witnessing what's around me and how people are interacting. But it's interesting to, um, to see that perspective. So thanks for sharing that. Um, So I think at the end of the day, we really need to reframe this whole conversation. Um, Like many modern artists we have, who have done art, um, we must also remix and reimagine how we talk about this work. I think, um, personally, I think the the answer lies with imagining that kind of future we want to create with the conditions for a more human world, a more human workplace. And then, you know, like we, like unlike binary thinking, right? Um, we need to start thinking about that as like a spectrum upon which we can objectively see ourselves. And then, we can start seeing where we are right now, but how do we want to move the needle forward towards that arc of justice, hope, and love? So I really think it's that reframing that we need to get to and where we're headed next. So, um, and those the conditions that we want to create and work towards them. Yes. What do we want to create? So we've identified the ones that we probably don't want and 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 remove and and unlearn. Uh, but I want to now. I'm excited to focus on on building new cycles or the new spokes within that cycle, um, and the characteristic characteristics that could be our legacy, and and can we we can pass on that could drive positive impact for future generations. So we're gonna do just that. We're gonna dive deep into these new characteristics that we believe should be prominent in our culture and and highlighted and empowered further and and brought into um, the center of our behaviors as well. Concepts like trust, forgiveness, joy, and there's many more we're going to talk about. And I'm really excited about this next journey that we're going to go on. Um, 
Usually we end our episode with a reflection question, but this is our season one finale. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we had quite a journey. And so for season two, we're going to dive deeper into what what culture we want to build and what are some of these characteristics that we're talking about and how to um, center them in our in our journeys as well. So instead of question today, it's an invitation. An invitation to rest. Rest helps us reset and rest is resistance. Empathy Power Up is produced by Amy J. Wilson and Kevin Shaw. Two people who bonded over their love for creating a deeper sense of empathy in the world. You can reach Amy at Real Amy J. Wilson and Kevin at Shaw Kevin.